Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk, and I'm here with my co-host, Mark Casaglo. And today, we have, for round three, Jake Dunlap, two of our best ever episodes on Enterprise Selling, and now he's coming on to the leadership show. Mark, why should people listen? Jake Dunlap has been a highly successful seller, a highly successful sales leader, a highly successful executive, and a highly successful business owner. That's four for four, y'all. Like if that dude doesn't know what he's doing, nobody does. And I think you'll find out real quick that he does know what he's doing. Let's do it. And a three, two, one, let's ride. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto reminders for everything. If I expect any reply from a prospect, I press command H and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox if I don't get a reply in two days. That means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two-day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time every time, you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. All right, Jake, welcome back to the show. We start every show with your top three actionable leadership takeaways. Let's get your three. All right. So first, I have the importance of goal setting. And what I do is I set six months goals and I have weekly review sessions for those goals. What I've found is consistently, if you're not looking at your long-term goals every single week, your chances of hitting them are pretty slim. So that's number one. Boom. What's number two? Number two is my rule for time management, which is 80, 15, 5. 80% of my time, I dedicate toward the day-to-day stuff, the activities that are going to move the needle in my business. Or if you're a CRO and you're hitting quota in the next quarter, 15% of my time and time blocked out and allocated is to things that I know my team is going to need in the next 3 to 12 months to be able to fix so we can hit our numbers even easier or faster. And then 5% of my time is dedicated to those things one, two, three years out into small little time amounts to make sure my team is doing the small little things to stay ahead of future trends. So 80, 15, 5, break your day down that way or your week down. I know we're going to future trends soon. What do we got for three? Number three. Oh, I love this one. Professional development and making sure that we are crystal clear on promotion and growth plans for our people. 
And what I mean by that is that many times and why so many people leave, I didn't know there was an opportunity. I thought I was doing the right things. You have to be crystal clear. What does it take to get promoted at your organization? And don't say hit your numbers. That's the prerequisite. It's the two or three other things that every leader and leader's leader looks for. And how do you communicate those clearly so everyone is on the same page and knows the target that they're shooting for to make that next step in their career? Jake, I have been talking to my friend ChatGPT while you were talking, and I asked it, what percentage of people suck at setting goals? And a little bit of encouragement, it came with a range of 50 to 70% of people suck at it and less than 25% of people actually do it. So if you run the numbers, that means like maybe 10% of people are good at it. You seem good at it. Like, help me get better. What do I do to get better at setting goals? Yeah, I mean, it's a journey. One, I think what happens is you have to understand the difference between aspirations and goals, right? Aspiration, I'd really like to get better at that thing. Goals hold us accountable. And that's the gap, you know, Mark, is that People think they want to be held accountable to some bar. They really don't. And goals, when you set SMART goals, right? And we can get into that. I can include some links in the show notes too on what SMART goals are. But goals that are specific, they're time-bound, they're measurable, and then attainable. That's the other place where people fall down. Okay, okay. I'm not, I haven't been working out at all. I want to work out four days a week. And then within two weeks, they're like, oh my gosh. It's like, no, your goal for the first 60 days is two days a week. They set goals that aren't attainable or realistic, depending on your definition of smart. So I think over time, what I've gotten better at is I'm very realistic about setting goals that are attainable, that are still like stretch. And again, this process of checking in on them on a regular basis. It's those combinations of you get better over time. I think it just aligning around the attainable and what's the realistic time frame. But I think those are the two things that you got to have your regular, how am I doings? Even if you don't think you need it, even like, I'll have my little reminder and I'll be like, oh, gosh, do I really need to look at it this week? I'm like, no, pull that thing up, look at it, go through, give your updates. And yeah, those are the two. Not being smart about the goals and then not having regular accountability to yourself. So Jake, let's make this real. Let's put yourself in the shoes of the VP of sales that you're coaching. And they're about to enter Q2 in this case, right? My guess is you're not telling them, all right, write down your $10 million target and look at it every single week. And that's it. There's probably a little bit more when it comes to setting goals as a sales leader. So how do I go about setting goals? Well, I mean, the answer is yes, you should kind of be doing that. And if you get into like the second thing, which I talked about this like 80-15-5 concept of like 80% is focused on this quarter. But again, if, if you don't have part of your time focused toward, hey, building that new training program, and that's my 15 or 5%, that's going to help me to hit my annual number, you're not going to hit your annual number. You have to have time dedicated. And again, it's not optional. You have to have a percent of your time every week dedicated to fixing things that take longer than three months to fix. If you do not do that, I promise you, you are going to be that sales leader who's staring down the barrel every single month or every single quarter. And I'll give you a very, very tactical example. When I was at a company called Career Builder, I took over as a leadership team. I took over a new team. I evaluated the team. I said, I know what my quarterly targets are. I'm not going to pay attention to this quarter. I know the team I need to turn over, et cetera. So what are the things I need to be doing this week? Because I want to start to make sure I've got an A-plus team in 12 months from now. So then what happened at the end of that year, we were the number one team at a 20 teams percent to quota because I'm not spending 100% of my time on just how am I going to get there this quarter? And so you cannot be an effective sales leader if you are trapped 
and just focusing on the quarter, you have to make sure, okay, what's the big bottleneck in our org? Okay, that's going to take a little bit longer. So I need to start doing small stuff now to set the stage. So then the small stuff equals big stuff. And now it's Q3. That thing has been fixed. It's ramped and we're cranking. So goals is very sales leadership. You have to, as a leader, your job is not to just hit your number this month. And if you're constantly scraping by, scrapping through, getting there on the final day, it's because you're not doing what I just said. You're not dedicating time every single week to understanding the bottlenecks in your organization and doing small things today to help to fix those for the future. Whether that's team members, whether that's playbook or process improvements, or you know, fixing your forecasting, whatever it is for your business. There are things that you know need to get fixed. And if you don't start on them now, you're not going to get to them this year or even this next like two quarters. Do you have a way that you monitor that? Like, I know it's probably not actually 80, 15, 5, but it's just more of the concept of take time and think about the future and then take time and think about the far out future. But is that like a regularly scheduled meeting? Like, how are you managing that so that you are actually doing it? So another, again, you're going to hear me talking about my calendar blocks. And obviously, you can tell that I love them and they work. I have a calendar block every two weeks that says two weeks out. And usually, I go three to four weeks out. And I look at my calendar over the next two weeks of everything that I have scheduled. And on an average week, I run between 50 to 70 meetings. That's how many meetings I have, internal, external, etc. Consistently, I will look at, again, what are my priorities, not just the next two weeks, and I will move meetings. The things that you prioritized three weeks ago may not end up being a priority now. And so I'd never cancel meetings day of. I look at my calendar and say, hey, what if this is not serving me as toward hitting these goals? And I move to create the space. And all of you could do this right now. Go block out 30 minutes tomorrow. I want you to pull up your calendar for next week and the week after. And I want you to look at every single meeting that you have on there, that if it happened three weeks from now, the world wouldn't fall apart. And guess what? That's probably most of the meetings. And so if you aren't looking at how you filled your calendar for that week and that two week, and again, I'm looking now at least two to three weeks in advance, you will consistently not have time to do what I'm saying. And you have to be able to prioritize based on the things that you know need to get done. And those things could have changed from when you booked those meetings prior. But I can't cancel meetings. People will think I'm never going to show up. I got deals. I got to close now, man. Like I got pipeline problems now, Jake. Like I don't got time for a stinking meeting that takes up an hour every week to think about like the future because now is on fire. That's right. And that if you have that mindset, it's always going to be like that. My friends, guess what? I'm not telling you to cancel your sales meetings. What I am saying is if you got a one-on-one session with some rep or you've got something that you're like, you're scrolling LinkedIn, like the time is there. I guarantee you the other thing you can do is just do an audit. It's a really simple exercise. You pull up your calendar, do it on the weekend, and you go look at your last three weeks. And you go and you go through and you put buckets together of how you spent your time. You are going to find five hours over the last two or three weeks. So you have a choice. You can always have that mindset, Mark, or you can dedicate an hour or two every week to fixing things for future you. It's binary. You can't have it both ways. Jake, I've got a question for you on this. As a sales leader, to Mark's point, oftentimes I think of the Covey quadrants where you plot your work on urgent versus important. And a lot of times sales leaders get roped into the stuff that's urgent and important. The deal that's going to make the quarter, beating up the forecast, doing the pipeline reviews. And those deals will be closed, won or closed, lost and gone after that. So that's the hamster wheel that you're referring to. 
what are some of the most common things that you find that sales leaders neglect that are in the important but not necessarily urgent bucket? It's funny because I feel like sales leaders like to put everything in the important and urgent bucket, right? And that's the fallacy. The fallacy is that everything is important and urgent and it's not. I cannot tell you, if you can just learn this one saying I'm going to give you sales leaders, which is great, I'm happy to do it. Is it okay if I do that by XYZ date? You are going to be shocked at how many things, whether it's your CEO handed it to you, if you're your CRO, uh, your VP or whoever. Yeah, that's cool. Next Friday is fine. You have to own your time. And that one little simple saying, absolutely, I'm happy to do this. Is it okay if I do it here? No, Jake, I need it by here. Absolutely. Here are the top two things I have prioritized over the next three days. Which of these do you think can punt? That one can punt. Okay, great. Done. I'll do it right now. You don't have to keep piling up. You have to know how to... Re- Again, I talked about how I changed my schedule. That's a renegotiation of my time. Every single CEO that you will partner with... Again, there will be times I need it tomorrow, blah, blah, blah. That happens. Sure. But that doesn't happen as much as you think it does. In your mind, you hear somebody said, I need it tomorrow. But that's not what they said. They said, I need it by this date or this date. So the things that I would put into that bucket is cleaning up your data and forecast accuracy, right? That would be a good example of one. The companies that are doing 100 plus billion are sometimes the most shocking. You're like, wait, what? If you clean up the forecast and you have clear definitions of sales stages, you have clear exit criteria, everybody knows has been trained on this is what this means to where your forecast accuracy goes up. And you can use AI tools as well too. That'll help you. When you do that, you can push down some of those needs to check in. I don't know when it became the one-on-one's job to check in on data that should be readily available. But my friends, that's not where you should be spending. If you're a frontline sales manager and your one-on-ones are checking on pipeline, you're lazy because you can go do that yourself. Go look at Salesforce, go do that, and then show up to the meeting prepared and to talk about these two things that you saw were discrepancies. So because we don't clean up the data and the forecast, like we keep punting that. So then we're trapped in the hamster wheel, these stupid one-on-ones and these stupid pipeline meetings where the data isn't consistent anyway. So everything's based on people's opinions on what's going to close. And if you fix that and everyone's marching to the same beat and the data is already being ingested because there's tools now where salespeople don't even have to enter in a lot of data themselves anymore, it stops your ability from having to check in on dumb stuff. So that to me is probably like, if you said, Jake, what's the most common one? It's data accuracy. And I know that sounds boring, but it's so freeing. You nail your sales stages. You are very crystal clear on the definitions of each. There's small amount of required fields. You use forecast categories so reps can put their opinion to some extent in there. It just cleans up the need to have a lot of these check-in meetings. And now I can go add value. I can do other things. I can have my three hours to go research new technology or whatever it is I want to do. So you got bucket one, which is control your time. And you got bucket two, which I think your passion and energy level like went up a notch when you started talking about this data and forecasting stuff. So I'm a sales leader doing both at the same time that's the stacking that you're talking about. So I got to pick one. You're a highly successful sales leader. You translated that into a highly successful business owner. Like you got to pick time management or you got to pick data. Where are you starting? Delegation. I mean, look, here's what I would tell you. It's funny, but it's also not. For some reason, and I don't know when this happened, sales is the only organization that thinks they need to hire people full-time to do expert jobs. Marketing has PR agencies, web design, performance marketing. They bring in experts. Your CFO doesn't do your audit. KPMG does. Think of HR doesn't do that. They bring in Towers Watson to do your comp plans. Like sales is, for some reason, part of its ego, Mark, we got to be the guy. We're the highest paid person. We're doing this. I got to put it all on my shoulder. 
And when you've been a multiple time sales leader, you realize that's all BS. You don't have to. And so the key is like, there are plenty of people that can solve this problem for you. The key is, can you say it's okay if someone else solves the problem and I'm still really good at my job? And I think a lot of sales leaders can't do that at the same time. They are like, if I'm delegating, if I'm not doing this, then I'm not doing my job. The reality is like, you're not an expert at it. So don't try to do it. I don't care if I hire somebody. I don't care if work with a firm. It doesn't really matter to me. So that's what I would say. For most of you who are listening to this, stop thinking you need to shoulder all the burden because you can't do it all. You can't do some of the things I'm talking about if you think you're going to be the person to do all of it. You need to bring in experts and not just full-time people. I don't care who you work with or if you want to hire an expert for this one tool, great. Go do whatever. But you have to create leverage. Your job as a sales leader is 100% leverage. How can I create leverage for my frontline managers so I'm investing in training for them because that gives me leverage with my sales reps, which helps me to close more deals. Your whole job as a leader is leverage. The general doesn't go fight the battles, right? They train the team, they train the leaders, and the leaders train this people. And that creates leverage in the trenches. And so that mindset, Mark, is also really important to a lot of this, that if you know that your job is leverage, you are thinking about future things you can do to create more leverage as a part of this, because you know that you can't nor should do it all as a part of your job as a CRO or VP of sales or director. So I want to take a big pivot back to one of the other takeaways that you gave, Jake, which is the concept of training up your team, giving them professional development paths, promotion paths, etc. When you said that takeaway, I had the voice of a previous angry past sales leader that I worked for who would say, no, don't tell them exactly what they need to get promoted. There's no way we can guarantee it. Anything could happen. Do your job. Do good for the company. You'll get promoted. And they purposely would always want to leave it ambiguous. And I've met a lot of sales leaders that are like it. And so what's the case against that, right? What's the reason to lay out very clear promotion and progression? Well, I mean, you just described how you felt about it. And so does every other salesperson, right? But look, I get the point. And let me phrase this slightly differently. My job as a leader is to get you on your path. And that could be your path here or your path somewhere else. Some of my biggest success stories as a leader Guy went and started this like multi-million dollar fruiton business. And it was like combining fruits and crude. I don't know what the hell it was. He ended up doing it. Another guy wanted to go do his MBA. Great. Another guy wanted to go be a DJ. Great. The promotion passes within the company. And what I can do is I can say, everybody at Scaled has a professional development plan. It shows you your role today. And it shows you the skill sets of the next role. And we're very clear. We are not a company that promotes you to learn the skill sets. We're a company that says, when the next opportunity comes up, you need to be demonstrating these skill sets. And it's not just hit your number. So if you're a sales leader, my argument to you is to say, look, you don't have to say it, you're guaranteed to get promoted. But what you can say is this, when the next opportunity comes up, you have to take your own professional development to your own hands. You can't just sit around and wait for a leader to come pick you and tell you what I'm about to tell you. Is you can say, and again, and I had talked about this in kind of our prep, your boss doesn't promote you. And 90% of their people have most of their promotion conversations with their boss who isn't the person that promotes them. You need to go to your boss's boss. And I'll tell a very specific story for myself and my career when this clicked. I think I was 26, maybe 26, 27. And hey, Jake, what are your goals? Leader's leader. Boss is director. Right? So my manager's boss. Jake, what are your goals, man? What are you doing here? What do you want to accomplish? I want to be a sales manager. He goes, Jake, that's not a goal. I was like, well, what do you mean? Of course it's a goal. He's like, nope. He goes, it's not a goal. He goes, because I control it. You don't control it. So it can't be a goal. A goal has to be something that's 100% within your own control. That would be kind of going back and tying this all beautifully together for you. 
He said, well, Jake, let me tell you what you can control and what I look for. Are you hitting your numbers? He goes, candidly, that's the prereq. So if you're a sales rep and you think if you just hit your numbers, you're going to get picked, eh, maybe. What are the other things? Jake, leading an activity. Because if I'm going to promote you and let's say you're dogging it down here, every single rep that now is reporting to you is going to say, but Jake didn't do it. Number three, are you mentoring your team and showing best practices on a daily basis or weekly basis? Told me those three things. Two and a half months later, I'd only been at the company for three and a half months. My boss left and there was an opening position for leadership. I came with my resume. I did this. I crushed. I did 60,000 in new business this month, this month. Here's my activity, my uh, mentorship. Here's my business plan for the group. A woman who'd been there for two and a half years interviewed against me toward the bottom in activity. She'd inherited a bunch of accounts. Good seller, right? Didn't put together a business plan. Didn't do any of that. I got the job because I stopped guessing what somebody else wants and I just asked them. And your reps right now, you have really talented people on your sales team. They're sitting there and they're pissed because they feel like they should have been promoted. But if you'd have just laid out for them what was expected, they would know I'm not ready yet. And so you don't have to say you're going to get the next promotion. But I do think if you just took the time to say, what are the things that the quantifiables and also the other behaviors that you look for to communicate those, I think you're going to have a happier, more motivated team. And that's my argument for transparency there. That's the best argument of how to battle entitlement I've ever heard is like, listen, people are entitled because they don't know what the expectations are. So of course they feel entitled. Exactly. It's your fault as a leader. If people don't know expectations, that's your fault. Every time it happens in my organization and when I was a VP of sales and running big teams, like every single time expectation mismanagement happened, it was my fault. What did mm. I do to cause this? And it was always communication, man. I thought I was transparent, but I wasn't. I was like, yeah, kind of transparent, but not clear enough. I think too, Jake, like people are going to grow and they're going to work on promotion somewhere. And where I think that they put their effort and their time is the thing that's most obvious. If you make the promotion at your company most obvious, people will work and grow there. If you don't, what they're going to go do is do a side hustle or work on something else that doesn't benefit your company. And so like people are especially kind of 20-some to 30-some that's like just really growth-oriented, they're going to grow. You can either give them a path to grow or they're going to find their own path that's probably not going to benefit you at all. Yeah, and I think, look, we've got a lot of non-sales roles at Scaled, right? And so for those roles, it's like, look, if you're trying to go to a, this level of consultant, here's the behaviors. It also becomes a very clean, black-and-white performance conversation. Like, they know the bar. And they can choose and that, hey, that's not the bar you want. Okay, well, let's throw this PDP out. And what is the next path? Okay, because you could become more of an expert at your piece and a domain expert at this part of your consulting or whatever it is. So it's aligning on what they want to do, not just what you want for them, which I think is another part of this too, that you're kind of mentioning too, Mark, is like, it's about what their growth plan is, not what my growth plan is for them. So Jake, this is spot on where you cannot guarantee that if the club has a million people in line, there are going to be a million slots for everyone to fit in. But what you can do is you can control things that let you get higher on the wait list, right? And that's what you're doing is you can't guarantee slots as a leader, but you can say this is what you need to do to be first in line. And so I love that because it doesn't promise the timing of anything. And the other thing too is like, it puts you in a position to where that recruiter calls and it's that next step up. You've already been doing the things to get there. In my own career, I'll give you a good example. I was the number one inside sales leader, like a hybrid inside outside for two and a half years. 
I looked at my own skill set and I'm like, I was 28 or 29 at the time. Cribbler offered to pay for my MBA. I went to Missouri State and got a 2.9. So Cribbler offered to pay if you applied. So they paid for me. I got my MBA at Arizona State. I worked full time. 18 months straight, I went to school for 10 to 12 hours every single week. Nobody knows I have an MBA. Like I don't put it on my LinkedIn. I did it because, okay, if I know the skills where I want to be in three years, okay, I get that. That helps to round this part out. Then I said, okay, I've been in this role for two and a half years. I'm successful. The next role up in manager isn't where I need to be. That's not going to be that much from a skill set standpoint. I said, I need to go learn enterprise sales. How the hell at 29 am I going to tell some grown ass 45 year old how to close enterprise deals if I didn't do it? Went enterprise sales. Within nine months, became the youngest national account executive out of 75 people. I was the youngest person. Then Glassdoor came knocking. So I was doing the activities. I had proven success as a sales leader, proven success as an enterprise person. And I got the offer letter for Glassdoor and it had somebody else's name on it. They rescinded the offer who was 20 years more experienced than I did because I put myself in the positions of doing these small things, engineering, not knowing what the next opportunity is. So even if the next promotion opportunity isn't at your own company, if you are doing those things that are the next levels that you want to be at, opportunity will come and you will have access. You don't get access to the next opportunity by saying, oh, I'll learn that job when I get there. It's not how life works, my friends. You don't get picked as some special flower. You demonstrate the ability to do it today. right? And that's the same thing if you're a director who wants to be a VP, a VP who wants to be a CRO, a CRO who wants to be a COO. What are you doing today to demonstrate that you know how to do that next role right now? Jake, you mentioned a point there that I think is worth pressing in on, which is you talked about the path from director to VP to CRO. Some of the hardest conversations that I've had to have are not director to CRO or whatever it is, not that I was a CRO, even manager to director. The hardest ones were, hey, Mr. or Mrs. AE, the path to manager might not be there. And so how do you think about what does someone have to demonstrate to be an enterprise AE versus a mid-market AE? And how is that different from what someone has to demonstrate to go from AE to manager? Well, I mean, I think it's different skill sets you're honing, right? Like I knew I wanted to be in leadership. I went and did the enterprise sales piece to get proficient enough at selling so then I could make a leap up in my leadership. I was very intentional about the decisions that I made. I never made decisions for money, ever. After that, I only took roles for more responsibility. And so I think it's like, look, if you want to be a leader, it goes back to what my boss Evan told me. Are you hitting your numbers? Get that out of the way. Of course you are. Okay. Number two, are you setting an example for your team every day, week, month? You don't have to be the first one in every day. You can be. doesn't hurt. You don't have to lead everybody in activity. Are you setting an example? So when I promote you, your peers respect you. Number three, are you already training and mentoring your peers without having to be told to? You do those three things. And again, this is just what he told me. And I'll tell you the same advice he gave me and it worked. And so if you're a rep, think about what are the things you would be doing in that role and start doing some of these now. On the enterprise side, what am I doing to improve? Again, and I'll just be, I'll go to what, what did I do? Look, I'm 29 years old trying to book meetings with really senior level people. I knew that I needed to up my executive presence to where I knew how to enunciate it better. When I would talk, I would kind of like keep my hands like T-Rex hands. I didn't even know I was doing that. <laughs> that was a whole other. It was pretty funny whenever that happened. But I was in that class with people that were like 15, 20 years older than me. They're senior level leaders at Microsoft and other places. So the skill sets that you have to learn to be an excellent enterprise seller are how to do top-down deals with executives, but how to do groundswell deals to then get them to top-down deals. And those are just different skill sets than leadership. And so you can work on both at the same time. 
but just what are you working toward? That's it. Like the goal setting, man. Let's bring this thing full circle here, baby. What are you working toward? I knew what I wanted to be. I wanted to be a CRO. I wanted to be the best. So I started working on that stuff when I was down here, years in advance, 80, 15, five, baby. I started putting in the work early to do the job today for the thing that I wanted tomorrow and then putting in the work now for things that would pay off two, three years from now. Whether I coined it then or not, all of these things are very, very related about your own professional development. Whether, again, you're a rep or a leader, et cetera, you need to know what it takes. You got to start demonstrating those abilities of the next role and the next, next role before you get there. Boom. Well, full circle. I don't know if there's a better way to end the show, guys. Jake, there's only one way we can end the show. And the way that we can end the show is by, we've talked about a lot of good habits that leaders can demonstrate, and now we have to talk about a bad one. So if there were one bad habit that every sales leader in the world should break today to get a little bit better, what would that be? Your job is not to fix people. People are fine and whole themselves. A coach, their job isn't to fix you. They're to help you guide down the path that you want that is best for you and that you want to go to. Your job is to not give advice 24-7. Your job is to not tell people what to do. That is not how you develop people. That's what a mentor is. If you want to be a mentor and give advice all day, go somewhere else. A leader's job is to coach. Coaching means I'm an expert at asking questions and letting you come to your own outcomes. And it's not always be what I think is right, but that's okay. That's what you think is right. And if you want to continue to be a mediocre leader, keep making your main skill set, giving advice and mentoring. Jake, amazing round three. Everyone hang on for a 60 second recap coming up soon. Cheers, folks. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Super Cadence by Influ2, which helps cut through the noise of oversaturated prospecting channels. If you want to get your prospect's attention, you got to do stuff a robot would never do. One of my favorite plays is getting warm introductions to the accounts that I'm targeting via salespeople who work at that account. Salespeople help salespeople. Another approach could be using Super Cadence to run SDR ads to put a face to the name. Now, we worked with Influ2 to put together a special toolkit on ways to humanize your outreach, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with Rocket Reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free. Did you know that 60% of proposals are viewed on a mobile device, which means if you're sending a tech stock or a slide deck, the formatting is going to look really ugly and you're going to make a bad impression. Luckily, our friends at Quiller are here to help. Quiller pages are built on the web, which means they're mobile responsive and they actually look good on a cell phone. And Quiller is having an offer right now to upgrade your proposal from an ugly tech stock to a Quiller page for free. So you can see what your boring proposal looks like as a beautiful Quiller page. There is a link in the show notes to take advantage of the offer. All righty, Mark. Let's do our first ever two-by-two. Two. Mark and Mondo recap. What are your two? Let's go. All right. Number one was I really like his dedication to what is now, what is near future, what is far future. And I think having a 
way to allocate your time. I don't know if like the percentages are right or whatever, but the intentionality of how he is dividing up his time, I think is critical for sales leaders right now. And then the second thing is, I think one of the biggest problems that current sales leaders have is managing expectations of reps. And Jake laid out, I think, one of the simplest explanations of how to eradicate irrational expectations of reps of like, I'm in a video game. I need to up-level every 10 minutes. I need to get a promotion every three days. And I think he made it really clear, like, this is what you do to get a promotion. And I loved your point, Armand, of that doesn't get you in the club, but it does change where you're at in line. And I think those two things are super critical and valuable for sales leaders right now. One quote that Jake said that stuck with me is, hitting your number is table stakes. That's what it takes to be on the list at all. Mm -hmm. Then there are these other things that get you to the front of the list. But again, that doesn't promise that you actually get in. So that was number one. But then number two, figure out the problem that nibbles at 20% of your day every single day and go solve the entire thing before that consumes the entire 100%. Two by two. Two by two. I think that's all we got. Well, folks, if you like this one, Jake is actually launching his first ever book called The Innovative Seller. I've personally learned a ton from him and go connect with him on LinkedIn. And if you'd like to pre-order The Innovative Seller, you can check that one out in the show notes. Cheers, folks. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Super Cadence by Influ2, which helps cut through the noise of oversaturated prospecting channels. If you want to get your prospect's attention, you got to do stuff a robot would never do. One of my favorite plays is getting warm introductions to the accounts that I'm targeting via salespeople who work at that account. Salespeople help salespeople. Another approach could be using Super Cadence to run SDR ads to put a face to the name. Now, we worked with Influ2 to put together a special toolkit on ways to humanize your outreach, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. This actionable tactic on selling to power is sponsored by SalesLoft. Don't start from zero when a champion introduces you to power. Explain the three to four priorities you learn from the champion, but then ask them to validate what's really important to them or what we missed. And we partnered with SalesLoft to give you a whole bunch of talk tracks on selling to power. The link is in the show notes.